So this is where we've got. So far, we have learnt that to be a follower of Jesus is more important than being a fan of Jesus. We are called to be followers, not fans. And then last week, um, Claire spoke to us about the authority that Jesus showed, which so amazed the people of his day. Authority in the way he talked about God, authority to confront demons and to deliver the people. And this week, as you can see, 22nd, the title is Jesus and the Law. I wonder what images that brings to mind immediately. Jesus and the law. Let's have a look at the first one. Anything like this? Jesus being arrested? Perhaps the next one. This one, Jesus. Or even this one. I really hate this one, actually. Jesus, the policeman. And finally, this one. Possibly that one. Only in America could you get these things. How many times have we said that this week? Only in America. Um, so, what we are not talking about is run-ins with the Capernaum cops or Jesus being hauled up before the local judge. When we say Jesus and the law, Law here means a particular type of law. But as we see, Jesus and his authority and his teaching and his miracles are beginning to attract some attention and some opposition. Let's just pray together. Lord Jesus, as we are seeking to follow you, would you help us to begin to see what you are like so that we know how we can be followers? Lord, would you be here this morning, especially with all these technical difficulties, all these other things that might get in the way? And we pray that in spite of those, we will hear you speaking to us clearly. In your name. Amen. Okay, the law with a capital L. Um, the Jews called it the Torah. This refers to the religious law of the Jews. The foundation of the Old Testament law is the Ten Commandments given by God Moses. And that sort of, I mean, this picture actually reminds me of um, a story you probably heard. The little boy who goes to Sunday school, a bit like our children here, and uh, when they're going home in the car, dad says, what did you learn at Sunday school today? And he said, we learned about Moses. I said, oh, what did you learn about Moses? I hope you do this, parents. Interrogate your children to find out what they've been doing. What did you learn about Moses? And uh, the little boy said, We learned that if you go up to a mountain and pray, God will give you a tablet. <laughs> or even two. 
is Moses with his tablets, looking rather like Charlton Heston. Um, and on those tablets, God had engraved the Ten Commandments, written by God, the way that we, the, the, the instructions really, the guidelines as to how we should live. And that was the start of the law. But the history of the Jewish people, if you read through it in the Old Testament, is one of adding to those basic commandments or adding in explanations of those basic commandments as the circumstances change. So, for instance, when they um, moved from being a wandering people, wandering around the desert, um, to uh, a settled people living in a land, a nation, they found they needed a national law code. And in those days, there was no real distinction between the secular law and the religious law. Everything was seen as religious law. And so there's quite a lot in the Bible about things you could and couldn't do in Israel, the things you could and couldn't eat in Israel. And they were all designed, those laws, to preserve the distinctive identity of the Jewish people as God's people amongst all the people they were living alongside. And also when they worshipped in the tabernacle and then in the temple, they felt they needed a detailed ceremonial law, especially for the priests. So there's a whole section of the Bible in uh, Leviticus and Deuteronomy all about holiness, about keeping ritually clean, about worshipping in exactly the right way. That is the law with a capital L as well. I just mentioned a lot of that is in the book of Leviticus, which apparently this week has been voted the least popular book in the Bible. I don't know if you saw that, Bible Society survey. Anyone like to guess what the most popular book in the Bible was? John, yeah. Well done. yeah. Revelation came in the top five as well. Surprised me. So, Leviticus, you know, if you're going to read the Bible from the beginning to the end, don't start at Leviticus, all right, because you can get bogged down in all those laws. So, as time went on, there were all these laws, and there were all sorts of add-on interpretations by priests and by scholars. And by the time of Jesus, there was quite an industry in this. So, for instance, my sheep is spotty. Is it ritually unclean? Can I marry my wife's mother's niece? What's the answer for that? You don't need to look up the Leviticus for this. No, because you are already married. A bit slow this morning. Can I eat snake soup? No. Can I eat local sandwiches? Yes, because John the Baptist did. Yeah. So lots and lots of uh, detailed questions like that came under the law. Okay, in our reading we, we have mentioned of the law, but we also have quite a lot about the Pharisees. So who were the Pharisees? Well, they probably looked a bit like this on the screen, sort of standing, off, standing you know, away from everybody else and looking disapproving. Right, that, that was a, a, a common Pharisee position, I think. They were the ultra-religious people, and I think I'm right in saying the ultra-religious men, because they were men, of Jesus' day. And the word Pharisee means 
something like separate one, and they liked to keep themselves separate. Now, being a Pharisee was not an official position, but it was a, a religious grouping of those who set themselves to live their lives in complete obedience to every aspect of the law. So they were not just taking those first bits of the Bible, um, but also all the extras, all the add-on bits as well. And they also saw themselves as the sort of moral guardians of society and the upholders of the law in society. So they were very good at pointing at other people and saying, you're not doing this right. Now we, I think when we're reading the Gospels, we often see them as the baddies in this story. And in fact, when you go on into the Gospel, Jesus does say some very strong things about the Pharisees. But in fact, they were the fervent, committed Jewish believers of their day. They were trying to live out what they thought God required of them. Everything to be a God-fearing Jew. Okay, that's a bit of background. We now know a little bit about law, we know a little bit about Pharisees. Now we're going to look at those three incidents that um, Ted read to us. And um, if you want to look at the Bibles, um, they're on the sides, I think, if you want to go and grab one. And we're in Mark chapter 2. The first thing is to say it's still early on in Jesus' ministry. He's still wandering around those towns and villages in his home area, Galilee. And he's still sort of building up um, his ministry. Let's have Levi the tax collector. Here's Levi. Now Jesus calls Levi, the son of Alphaeus, the local tax collector, to follow him, to be one of his disciples. Now a tax collector would seem a bad choice for several reasons. First of all, tax collectors were popular. Are they ever popular? No, not really. Um, at that time, they were seen as being in league or with or making money for a, a very oppressive government, and they were often seen as corrupt. The Pharisees' big objection to tax collectors was that uh, because of their job, they had to mix with Gentiles, and that made them virtually unclean. So if you were going to be a proper, godly Jew, and if you were going to be a religious teacher or a leader, you should steer clear of people like the tax collectors. But here we have Jesus going almost out of his way to call Levi to be his disciple. And that was shocking on many levels. And then Jesus compounds it by sitting down and eating with a whole load of other people who were considered unclean or outcasts from society. Just a, a couple of interesting asides here. This may not have been in Levi's house. If you read it in the, in the NIV, it says this was in Levi's house. Uh, but actually, I gather that the Greek is unclear, and this could have been 
in Jesus' house or in the house where he was staying. It could have been that he invited back these people who were considered sinners and outcasts. And the, the second thing, and this is just an aside that occurred to me really, it's, isn't it interesting that one key convert, Levi, brought Jesus into contact with a whole group of people that he might not otherwise have met. A whole group of people who really needed to hear him. So the Pharisees object. Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said to them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but those who are ill. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. So what is Jesus saying to the, to the Pharisees? He's saying, you are missing the point. These are the very people I am here for. A doctor needs to go amongst the sick to heal them. I am here to call sinners, that means those who realise they are sinners, as opposed to those who think they are righteous. The second incident that we looked at was about the cornfields, or as it said on the sweet the green fields. The Pharisees are, seem to be on the lookout now, and they seem to be following Jesus and his disciples about. And for Pharisees, observing the very complicated Sabbath laws was all important. So when they saw the disciples picking a few grains of wheat as they walked through a field, they, thought, they said, ah, that is harvesting, you are forbidden to do that. The Pharisees said to him, look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? And look at Jesus' reply. Jesus said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Again, he switches it on his head, he looks at it in a completely different way. The Son of Man is Lord, even of the Sabbath. And that last statement is quite provocative. He is calling himself the Son of Man, he is saying he is Lord of the Sabbath. And let's look at the third incident, which took place in the synagogue, um, in a morning service, a bit like this. Jesus and his disciples are attending the service at the synagogue, and the Pharisees by this time are really watching and waiting for anything that they can pin on him. And it may be that this man with the withered hand was put in a prominent place where Jesus couldn't miss him. Perhaps as a test. What would Jesus do? Well, Jesus doesn't duck the issue. He gets the man to stand out front where all could see him, and he challenges the Pharisees directly. Which is lawful on the Sabbath, said Jesus, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? To do good, like bringing healing to someone, to do evil, as you are doing, to plot, to destroy, 
to even kill someone. And the Pharisees remained silent. And the Pharisees' silence and their stubborn unwillingness to change really angers and distresses Jesus, it says in that passage. He heals the man, but the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians, who up to then had been their arch enemies, to kill Jesus. So the opposition to Jesus is growing. Okay, we've, we've looked in a little bit of detail at those three stories, and now I want to perhaps draw out what God may be saying to us through them. And the first thing is, don't be a Pharisee. Do we have anyone in our churches today who are like the Pharisees? Well, I think, as this cartoon shows, it's very easy to point to someone else and say they are like Pharisees, they are like Pharisees. But remember that the Pharisees were the religious keys of their day, the ones who took their faith seriously, the ones like us. And if we're not going to be a Pharisee, I think we need to guard ourselves. We religious folk have a great tendency to get things out of perspective and to lose our focus. Um, there was a great uh, 16th century Anglican theologian called Richard Hooker who tried to make a distinction between the core things, the essential things, which we can all agree on as Christians, and what he calls the things indifferent, the peripherals. He said, we can't change the core things, but we can often change the peripherals. And as I can't say the word peripherals very well, I'm going to say piffle. Right? There's core and there's piffle. <laughs> the problem is that it's often very difficult for us as Christians to agree. Agree? Are we there, Steve? Yes. Agree with uh, what is the core and what is the piffle. The piffle has just struck again, actually. Um, churches often divide and split over trifles. Um, like the Pharisees, we can get so exercised and so wedded to the piffle that we miss what God is really doing. So why was Jesus so angry and so deeply distressed when he recognised the um, Pharisees' hostility to him? Well, the reason that he was so deeply distressed, and those are the words that the passage uses, is because they were the very people who should have been welcoming him with open arms. They were the ones who wanted to serve God, they often lived very sacrificially, but in spite of that, they had missed the main thing. They had missed the Messiah. And even worse than that, their stubbornness, their unwillingness to change, their fear of losing control, their hardness of heart, finally meant that they found themselves plotting to destroy the one who came to save them. 
So I think that's a hard lesson, but relevant to us, especially as we are in a time of change and a time of growth and a time when we are seeking a new vision. There is a slippery slope here about starting perhaps with obsessing over trifles, getting things out of perspective, not being open to the spirit, not being willing to change or to look at new things, hardening your heart. All that can mean that we miss out on what, is really do- what God is really doing and what he really wants for our life. So that's it. Don't be a Pharisee. But I need to end on some good news. So do be like Jesus. If you don't, don't be a Pharisee, but do be like Jesus. When we sign up to follow Jesus, however that happened for you, we also sign up to be willing to be changed. We are to be open to him, we are to be open to his spirit, and we are to take on his priorities and the things that are closest to his heart. Now, in this passage that we've just read, I can't get away from the fact that those closest to Jesus' heart were the outcasts of society. When Jesus sat with those sinners, in inverted commas, he is demonstrating that his power to forgive is greater than sin's power to contaminate. Showing love trumps keeping yourself pure. I wonder who you would consider outcasts of society today. Would you just like to... uh, talk to the person next to you and just mention perhaps a few types of people that might be considered outcasts. I can remember when we had a, a previous vision process, we had a list actually up on the wall of um, people that we felt we weren't reaching out to, really. Um, in, in, in this passage, I don't think that the sinners, in inverted commas, that the Pharisees condemned were necessarily those who were morally lax or criminal lowlife. They were those who were not deemed acceptable by the religious establishment of the day and also those who put themselves sort of beyond the pale by their jobs, their background and their circumstances. So I think that's a broader spectrum of people. Today there are many people who think of themselves as unacceptable to God or to the church 
because of how they live or what they have done that they may feel is unforgivable or from their background or their education, the amount of money they have, all sorts of other things can seem like barriers. Jesus said, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. So we're coming to the end now, and um, Jesus and the law. Did Jesus think all the Old Testament law was rubbish? Well, no, he didn't. When he was asked later on to state the most important bits of the law, this is what he said, and I've put it in a slightly different version, the message version. This is the core for Jesus, if you like. Love the Lord your God with all your passion and prayer and intelligence. This is the most important, the first on any list. But there is a second command to set alongside it. Love others as well as you love yourselves. These two commands are pegs. Everything in God's law and the prophets hangs from them. If we are Jesus followers, these should be the two pegs in our lives as well. The pegs that everything hangs from. Let's pray together. Lord, we want to come to you as people who often act and think like the Pharisees. And we want to lay down before you and renounce and give up any attitudes that seem like those of the Pharisees. Any stubbornness and any hardness of heart. And Lord Jesus, we want to ask your help in following you. We want to put our feet in your footmarks. We want to go where you have gone before. We want to love as you love. Lord, would you help us to stay open to the Spirit, to be willing to be changed? And to look on people through your eyes. Amen.